Friends, Jordan Montgomery here, and we're glad that you've tuned into another episode of the Growth Over Goals podcast. Before we jump into today's conversation, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Thompson & Co. Salon & Parlor. Thompson & Co. Salon & Parlor is a family-owned, stylist-owned community salon that fits the needs for all types of families. Located in downtown Iowa City and now a second location in Corville, North Liberty area, Tico specializes in all things hair. In fact, that's where I've been getting my hair done for the last seven years. Tico specializes in hair cutting, razor cutting, the most modern color techniques, and high-end hair extensions. As one of Iowa's only inner coiffure salons and salon today's top 200 salons in the U.S., Tico looks forward to being the salon of choice for you and those you love. Be sure to call or book on their website today at thompsonacosalon.com. Thank you, Tico, for all you do for us and our community. Welcome back to the Growth Over Goals podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And today I'm with a dear friend who's 10 wins away from becoming the winningest coach in Iowa men's basketball history. He's also one of the few Division I coaches that's taken four teams to the NCAA tournament as a head coach and has had tremendous success at the University of Iowa, where he's entering his 14th season. Three of the last four years has finished the top 25. He's coached many former All-Americans, now pro athletes, playing in the NBA, the likes of Luca Garza, the Murray Twins, Joe Wieskamp, Tyler Cook. The list goes on and on of the players that Fran McCaffrey's developed. As professional success has continued and as impressive as that's been, what's more impressive to me is the work that Fran's done in his personal life. He's raised four great humans, Connor and Patrick McCaffrey. It's been well-documented, have been great athletes at the University of Iowa. Connor is now with the Indiana Pacers on staff doing some work in Indianapolis. Patrick enters another season for the Iowa basketball program as one of the top athletes in the Big Ten. Jack McCaffrey, one of the top high school recruits, in the state of Iowa and nationally as a top 50 player. What most people don't know about the McCaffrey children is that Mara McCaffrey might actually be the smartest and uh, is also no enrolled about that. at the University of Iowa, right? I mean, I think, I think that's a fact. Uh, as as uh, Fran leads the program, he also leads in the community, married to Margaret, who is an All-American at Notre Dame. No question, the best part of who Fran is, is his best friend and wife and Margaret and uh, the McCaffrey family has meant a lot to this community, meant a lot to the University of Iowa, has meant a lot to me personally, and um, has been there for me in some really difficult times in life. So all of that said, we want to welcome in today's guest, head coach of the Iowa men's basketball program, a dear friend, Fran McCaffrey, good to be with you. Jordan, it's always great to be with you, my man. This is fun, man. We've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, You've always been so gracious and generous with your time. And, um, man, what I love about hanging out with you is you always keep it real, whether we're talking about basketball, life, the kids, family, and just a lot of great memories over the year. But I want to talk specifically today about two things, about leadership, and I also want to talk basketball. So this is a leadership podcast. So I want you to take us back to the early days, you know, growing up in Philly. And I'm just wondering if you have a sort of a moment in your journey where you realize, like, hey, I've got influence. I have an ability to impact people, lead people. When was that first kind of moment for you? You know, I think, Jordan, it happened over time. Uh, You know, when I think back to how I was raised, uh, my father was a police officer in Philadelphia in in a very turbulent time, the 60s and 70s. uh, You know, you think about the riots and things that were going on at that time. He fought in Korea. Uh, 
tough guy, you know, was a police officer for 28 years, never missed a day of work. Uh, I don't ever remember him being sick. He just showed up and, and performed his duties. He was a great father. My mom was incredibly supportive of my career. So uh, it's just sort of ingrained in me how to be as a human being. You know, as it mm. pertains to basketball, uh, I was always pretty good at it. And, and it was something we did for fun. You know, I didn't take myself too seriously. Like, okay, this is going to be something that down the road, okay, I'm definitely going to be playing in the NBA. But as when I moved into high school, it gets a little more competitive. We had a really good team. We had a really good program. We had good players. And the opportunity was there for me to be the point guard. And you played point guard. Mm. I played point guard. You can't play that position unless you have leadership capability. You have to provide an experience for everybody else on the team. Like, hey, everything's under control. Mm. Okay, they can press us. They can zone us. They can junk defense us. We got answers for everything. I'll keep everybody involved. I'll communicate with everybody. So I think as a player, that position helped motivate me and define me moving forward stepping into the coaching ranks you know so when my career was over and it did not end up as an nba player uh, okay i love the game i want to stay involved in the game i think i can impact people's lives and and you know in those days we didn't make any money right we we did right. it because we we love the game we love yep. the kids yep i considered it an honor to be employed full-time at a university, even though we didn't make great salaries. Yep. Hey, I I was making a salary. I had benefits. I got to go to a college campus. I got to work with kids and recruit great players and great people from from families that I got to know. And, and that's kind of how it all happened. You know, you sort of embody the mantra, I think, that we talk about often in our leadership work, which is bloom where you're planted. You know, like treat the current opportunity like right. it's your last opportunity and take yeah. advantage of it and be all in. And, uh, man, I think from there you've just um, continued to influence and impact. And you're here at the University of Iowa. You're entering your 14th season. I get this question a lot, Fran. So people watch Iowa basketball. We have some Iowa fans listening. We have mm -hmm. some people listening who don't know anything about Iowa basketball. That's fine, too. You're welcome if you don't know anything about Iowa basketball. We're glad you're here. But people who are from here will say, hey, so you know, you know Coach McCaffrey. Like, you know, we see a fiery guy on the court who's got a lot of toughness. But, like, what's he like, like when he's not on the court? And I always tell people, you know, it's interesting to me because I think you're the same dude, but I think you were uh, about as relaxed and as down to earth um, as it comes. The one thing, though, that I think you're really tough about and, and you're fierce about is your loyalty to your players. So I love this, this question we often ask on our podcast, which is like, what is the greatest leadership lesson that you've ever learned? And I don't want to answer for you, but I think, I think you're, you're going to answer it with a bit of a story. And I know that loyalty has been a part of your DNA as a, as a coach, also as a human. Um, but talk to us about how uh, loyalty has been a part of your leadership journey. And, then I, and you're also a great storyteller. And we were just talking sort of offline. I want you to tell this story about a time where you had to kind of take a stand for your players and it involved somebody sort of giving you advice and you fired back with some interesting advice of your own. Well, when I first got here, uh, we had a lot of work to do. Uh, we're trying to build the roster. We're trying to keep the roster we have. <clears throat> and uh, I identified a young man who was a sophomore in high school at the time that I thought would really 
be sort of the cornerstone of what we were trying to build, and that was Adam Woodbury. Uh, Seven-footer from Sioux City, fabulous young man, great family, uh, one of the toughest guys I've, I've ever been around. Smart, tough, yep. winner. Yep. Okay, so so we start recruiting him hard, and, and he becomes MVP of the uh, NBA Top 100. So now everybody's recruiting him. You know, North Carolina offered, everybody's offering. And that young man stood up at a press conference and said, I'm going to go to the University of Iowa, play for Coach McCaffrey. I'm not going to go to North Carolina. I'm not going to go to these places. I'm an Iowa kid. I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to help build this thing. And uh, that was special to me. And it was incredibly impactful. I think we won 89 or 90 games in the four years he was starting. Yep. We beat North Carolina at North Carolina. But there was a period of time there where uh, I think he was misinterpreted. Mm. Uh, and and the media just jumped all over it and were attacking this young guy. Uh, said he was poking people in the eye and he was just closing out. Wasn't doing that. It's not who he is. And uh, I, felt it, I felt he was being unfairly vilified with misinformation. But sometimes the media just runs with it. And so who's going to stand up for him? There's one person that can do that, and that was me. I took them all on. I fought with every media person that would fight with me. And uh, I remember uh, we had professional development people come in periodically and uh, brought a guy in, and, and he's like, look, you know, and he's looking out for me. I get it. Yeah. It's like, look, you know, you don't look so good right now in the national media. And what are you trying to accomplish? Like, what, what, what's your motive here? I said, my motive here is exactly what happened. They're fighting with me now. I get mm. paid. Mm. Leave my guy alone. I'm looking out for him. They left him alone and started fighting with me. And that was a thing of beauty as far as I was concerned. My job was to stand up for my guy who was being unfairly criticized. And I want to make sure that people understand who that – he's one of the most character players mm-hmm. I've ever coached. He was an unbelievable leader in the locker room. He was a gamer. He was competitive. He was consistent. And he cared about one thing, and that was winning. Mm. And uh, I love him, and, and I wanted him to know that. And I wanted his parents to know that because when I went, when I went into their living room, I told them I'm going to look out for him mm. when he comes here. And I did. I didn't think that would happen, but you know, whatever whatever happens, we deal with it at the time yep. and we live up to our word. You know, uh, <clears throat> makes me think about this quote, adversity builds character. Uh, our, our mentor friend, John Maxwell said, I think that's BS. You know, like adversity doesn't build character. He said, I've, I've watched a bunch of people bump into adversity and they're still struggling. So the point is adversity builds character if you allow it to. He said that's, right. how that, that's how that sentence needs to end. And I think about some of the adversity that you've bumped into. I mean, you come here, when you came here, the program wasn't like rocking. And so you had to sort of rebuild the program. Then you take on the challenge of having your two oldest kids play for you. You're in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, you're in a cold weather state that doesn't have the same amount of in-state talent as some of the other states have in the Big Ten. Now you have this NIL you know, obligation. And so you're not just coaching basketball. Now you're the CEO of a program. You got to do extra stuff with the fans and the community. So like you've had challenge after challenge after challenge, yet you've 
continue to have success. You've continued to lead and have impact. Um, we all face challenges. We all have pressure as leaders. I've got pressure in my business, but like, what would you say to the person listening who's dealing with pressure or challenge? Cause I think you've done that at the highest level with a ton of class year after year after year, there's a new challenge and you face it and you beat it and you continue to have success. So what would you say to the leader listening who's maybe facing some challenges right now? We can always focus on what we don't have or what obstacles we have to success. You know, I yeah. prefer to focus on, we have a great program. We, we have a storied program. Okay, maybe we had a couple down years before I got here. But you go back to Ralph Miller and Tom Davis yeah. and Lute Olson, and you think about the great players. I mean, you walk down the hall to get to my office where we are now, and there's pros all over that wall from Don Nelson, Hall of Famers yeah. that played here. We have a great facility. We have a fabulous academic institution, a great campus. Okay, we can say, well, somebody has a bigger practice gym or they don't share it with somebody else. Uh, yeah, you know, the state of California has more Division One talent. Well, yeah, but we only have 3 million people. Yeah. But there's some really good players, and we do a great job keeping them home and wanting them to become Hawkeyes. So I, I look at it like this. There's enough really good players out there that want to play mm. in the Big Ten, want to play at a university like this one with a storied tradition. They want to play the style that we play. Yeah, We go fast. I let my guys go. We're going to score a ton of points. And, and we're going to make it fun for the fans that come to watch, but we're going to play smart, even though we're playing fast. And, and you know, I, I I wake up in the morning feeling really good about what we have, mm. not what we don't have. I think there's so many people that have gratitude, not as many that share it, you know? And I think when you're willing to share gratitude, I think it's just a magnet for opportunity. And so, man, I love to hear, like as an Iowa guy, I love to hear that like you're grateful to be here and you pay attention to the tradition. I think you always have. And I think you honor people who've come before you. I think you honor your guys. I think you also, you also have a knack for identifying talent. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide some context, even though there's some Hawkeye fans listening that know this. Maybe they even need to be reminded. Uh, but you look at the, the tremendous talent that's come to the program. So Luca Garza was not a top 100 player. You know, Keegan and Chris Murray, I think, were ranked 351 and 352. Not even on the radar. I think Western Illinois was their only... Division one offer before they went to prep school. You know, you go back to like um, Aaron White, you know. Now, Joe Wieskamp was a top player. Tyler Cook was a top player. But there's so many players that competed here at such a high level, went on to do incredible things, even, you know, at, at, at the next level. Um, but you identified them early on and you gave them an opportunity. Uh, what would you say to people about identifying opportunity? What do you look for that you think has allowed you to be successful in the recruiting process and then the developmental process of basketball players and athletes? Well, the first thing is character. When you think about those players we just mentioned, every one of them was zero maintenance. Yep. Okay, so they come early, they stay late, they take care of their business academically. You know, you know, where's Luca? Where's Keegan? Well, they're in the weight room. They're in class. Yep. They're they're getting a thousand <laughs> shots up in the practice gym. You know, it's like, well, hey, I haven't seen them in in a week. You know, or you know. I, they were out, you know, all night at, at 3 a.m. You know, it's not who they are. Yeah. They came here with a purpose. They were locked into being in a position to maximize their potential. 
So it's my job to see that they do that. But if, if, if they're not committed in that way, no matter what we teach them, it won't happen. So, I mean, you go Devin Marble, Jordan Bohan, and you just keep going. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, Peter Jock, you know, and I, I don't want to miss people, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's a guy like Bakari Evelyn who came for one year yeah. and just, yep. you know, said, I'm going to help this team get to the NCAA tournament, which he did. Of course, they didn't have it, but I'm not sure we would have gotten there without him. Yeah. You know, so it's it's understanding who they are way more than what they do. Mm. You know, I, I could bring anybody with me into a gym and watch basketball. Okay, that kid's that kid's a good player. Yep. Okay. Do they have the makeup to work with five other people, to be a good person in the locker room, to prepare to become better when the season ends mm. over the summer, in the fall, and it's a pleasure for me to come to this office every day knowing the quality of people that I have in our locker room. And and that's what makes this profession the great profession that it is. And uh, that's what we'll keep doing it that way. Well, I want to point this out. You you said to be once I develop people, not basketball players. you got a team of guys right now. So I'm at lunch with Peyton Sanford last week. And, you know, we're just kind of talking about the guys and the culture and, you know, everything that's happening outside of basketball. And I said this to Peyton, I said, you know, what's interesting to me is like nobody on the team really like goes out. Like these guys are playing Madden at night and like studying, like we got Owen Freeman's like drawn cartoons or whatever he does. Like some guys are into music, but like you have a good group of dudes who stays out of trouble, you know, is committed to the classroom. And I just think that's, it's a really unique culture that you've developed. And you have another roster full of talent, but just really great high character guys. So I want to transition to this year's team. Because okay. the season's about to tip off. You got a, people, a bunch of people wondering, okay, newer team, you got a bunch of new faces, you had some talent that graduated. Um, what do you make of this year's team and what should Hawkeye fans expect about this upcoming basketball season? I'm really excited about this team. And I think, and one of the things I said from the day I got here was we, we have a sophisticated fan base. I think they look forward to that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, it'd be nice if Keegan Murray stayed four years. And he probably would have been the national player of the year last year. But he left. And he's going to sign a contract probably north of $200 million in a couple of years. And I'll be thrilled for him yeah. to have been in any way a part of that. So when I look at this year's team, okay, we have six new players, four freshmen. And those freshmen have to play. It's not like, okay, they're freshmen. They'll right. buy their time. Maybe they're sophomore. No, like we need them to play right away. Our two transfers we need to play right away. And then we mix in with the experienced guys, Peyton, Patrick, Tony. Uh, those players. So last year we had Connor, Philip, and Chris play 3,000 minutes. We weren't as deep in the front line. This year we're deeper, we're bigger. We don't have a guy like Chris who everybody kind of felt like would be a first-team all-league player. A guy like Connor who was a part of 111 wins, yep. uh, the greatest winner along with Jordan Mohan yep. in the history of Iowa basketball. Uh, and Philip Robracha was 25 years old, was an all-league yeah. player at another place, came in, was an all-league player for us. Toughest guy on any block. So, all right, who's going to step into that role? That's the challenge of what coaching is, what leadership mm. is. And then also, as you talk about leadership, who on this team will lead? Because last year, it was Connor. Yeah. Connor's team. Yeah. And Chris was a warrior and a gamer, and so was Philip. 
Connor controlled the locker room. Yeah. Connor's, I think, relationship with Tony Perkins and Peyton Sanford mm. in particular was a thing of beauty to watch. Uh, and how he would communicate with the young guys. So now we need <clears throat> Tony, Patrick, and Peyton to really communicate with Price and Brock and Owen Freeman and Laji Dembele because they're all really good players. But the leadership side will really determine, I think, this year how far we go. One thing that's super unique about your coaching journey is for many years in a row now, you've had to coach or you've gotten to coach your son, right. one of your sons. Exactly. Last year's both the sons. Uh, Patrick's back for another year. Uh, could you speak to what that journey's been like for you, just your relationship with Patrick and Connor and getting to do this job, but getting to do it while coaching two of your boys? Yeah, I can't imagine a, a better experience. I, I think a lot of people look at it and say, boy, that would really be hard. It would really be tough. You know, are you hard on them? I coach my guys the same way, you know, whether it's my son or somebody else's child. Like, yeah. you, you never lose sight of the fact you're coaching another man, another woman's child. How mm. would you want them to treat your, your son? So mm. treat them all the same. Yep. You know, they were good. They're both good players. You know, it was said to me many times, everybody, everybody jumps on this line. If your kid's going to be on the team, he's got to be the best player or the worst player. Well, the truth of the matter is, they're probably never going to be either. Mm. All right? Chances are pretty good that they're going to be somewhere in between. My two boys are good players. They're winning players. They care about winning. You know, Connor led the nation in assist turnover ratio. We had Luca. We had Keegan. You know, he was. Yeah. We're gonna get them the ball. When I get the ball to Jordan Bohannon, he scored two thousand points. Hey, let's throw the ball to Jordan, right? Joe Wieskamp led the nation in three point shooting. You know, I remember a timeout situation where I called a play. It was a it was a back pick screen to screener for Garza. Connor says, he says, no, change. He says, run this. They're going to jump the screen. Joe Wieskamp will be wide open. He'll hit a three. Okay, we run that play. We run the play. Joe hits a three. We go up 12 on the road at Ohio State on CBS. So that is leadership. That is commitment to winning. And that commands the respect of the other guys in the room. Okay, Joe's like, hey, this guy's looking out for me. No, he's really smart. And yeah. you're, you're shooting 51% from three point range. Let's throw Joe the ball. Right. You know, let, let's understand what we're trying to accomplish here. <clears throat> I mean, he loves Joe, but let's understand what his capabilities are and let's make sure we take care of that yeah. and maximize our chances to win. So it has been an incredible journey seeing my boys mm. every day and going through the journey with them, you know, hugging it up at half court when we win the Big Ten championship. I mean, that was incredibly emotional for all yeah. of us. Yeah. But, you know, after a tough loss, mm. being there for each other and, and, and talking to each other and figuring out, okay, where do we go from here together as a team or mm. together as a family? So uh, I'll, I, I will miss having Connor McCaffrey around, I can tell you that. And uh, I will cherish every moment with Patrick. Yeah. I remember I sent you a text last year after the Iowa State game. So you got your 500th win. You beat the brakes off of Iowa State at home. Your boys are there. You know, Margaret got to come because she, you know, Jack's playing and so she can't make every game, right? There's right. other obligations. Right. And, but the family, the whole family got to be there. Was Mart there for that game too? Oh, yeah. Mart was there for that game. Yeah. So Mart's there, Margaret's there. You're coaching your boys. Jack's there. 
you get your 500th win against the in-state rival. Everybody gets to experience that together. And it happens at home at Carver Hawk Arena. Like, I'm not sure it gets any more special than that. Um, and, and I just remember thinking, man, like, what a journey. Uh, I was so proud of your family that night. You know, proud of you that night. Like, that was just a really special, momentous time. Um, do you want to speak to that at all? Do you remember that night? Well, absolutely. And you think about the journey. You said it. Okay. I can't believe it's 500 wins. So you start thinking about the great players you coached. I mean, I, I got my first head coaching job in 1985, and who was on that team? And, and you know, I worked for a dear friend, and Tommy Schneider, and I grew, and I learned from him, and I worked for Digger, and I worked for John McLeod, and how much I learned from those guys. And But the great players along the way and the great assistant coaches I had. But most importantly – it doesn't happen without Margaret. It just yeah. doesn't. Uh, she was there the whole time. She she buys in and understands mm-hmm. what this journey is. Like, there's times when I'm gone, and yeah. she's got to handle everything on her own. Uh, yeah, we get it. And and I'm all in. You know, when we have recruits in or we have NIL events at our home, she's all in. But at the same time, She's on the national board for the American Cancer Society. We have events at our home to raise money for the hospital's AYA program, Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Program. Uh, And and it just all comes together with your whole family there. You think about all the years because it it happens fast. And we we sometimes get caught up in just the moment. But that was a night where we could really reflect and enjoy. The fun one. I remember Ashley pointed out to me recently. And we've often talked about this, that like, it's always Fran and Margaret, Yep. you know? And I think for so many coaches or people who've been in the spotlight, they lose sight of that, you know? Um, You guys have always been a team. And I think that's worked for you. I think it's worked in uh, developing players, building a culture. You and Margaret together have built something that people want to be a part of. It's a family atmosphere. And I think people feel that from you. Well, I think it's been reflected in, in, in recruiting. Yeah, like when the players come with their families, they want a family atmosphere. Yeah, but they want to know that it's genuine, and and they see it and then they feel it, and that makes them want to come and be a part of it. Hey, I'll, I'll, let's spend a second on that. I want to talk about authenticity for for just a minute because you you really don't change. I mean, for <laughs> for better or worse, I think largely it's a good thing. But sometimes you give people answers that they don't want to hear. I remember after the Michigan State game, remember it was maybe first year that you were here. And we got our we got our butts kicked at Michigan State, and I think you got you got hot in a huddle, and there's like a chair that you knocked over, and then somebody asked you in the post game presser, they're like, "Hey, what about that? You know, when you that chair that you kind of slammed," and you said, "Well, if if you think I'm the kind of guy that's going to sit on my hands when we're down by thirty, you got the wrong guy." Do you remember that? Yeah. And I just think there's been so many moments in your career where it's like, man, I'm not going to change. I am who I am. I think people would rather follow a leader who's real than one who's right, and you've been real for your entire journey. Some people love that, and there's times where I think that's probably gotten people sideways, right? They want you to say something that you're not going to say. Can you speak about how authenticity has played a role uh, and keeping it real has played a role in your leadership journey? You know, it's harder and harder, Jordan, because of the incredible media attention. It used to be the game ended, you talked to the press, it was the print media, and they might get a quote or two for, for a TV station, and then you moved on. Well, now it's, with social media, it's just continuous. Everything that you say could be a national story at any point in time. Yep. There's a couple of ways you can approach that. 
I can be very generic and vague and basically not say anything, but be polite. Like I ha- I'm here because I have to be here. I'll give you, you know, a real vanilla answer to a question and then I'll move on. And I'll never get myself in trouble. I didn't say anything controversial. But I, I typically answer the question that's ans- that that's asked. And I own what I do. Yeah. And that's just how I've always been. You know, it, you can try to rewrite history if you want to. Okay. I was upset that night because we were really a soft basketball team. Hmm. We didn't have as much talent as they did, I, but we did beat them. That We beat them here. I remember that. Yeah. And we went up there. They had Draymond yep. Green and all those guys. And they, team. They, yeah. they, had, they had a better team. Yeah. And then we played them tough in the tournament, but they were better than us. And, and we got off to a bad start and we just kind of wilted. And at some point, you have to say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down fighting. We didn't fight that night. So that was my message to the team. And I'll never forget, like you have, you had some national people saying, oh, the referee should call the team. Wasn't mad at them. It wasn't their fault. <laughs> we were not tough enough. I mean, I mean, yeah. Nobody teed me up. Yeah. But that's, that's, you know, TV pundits who think that the whole world is waiting for them to weigh in on yeah. something they know nothing about. Yeah. And, and, you know, so there's a lot, unfortunately, a lot of those guys out there and, and people do listen to them sometimes. I can't help that. But all I can do is speak for myself and be honest about it. Don't you think, I think any coach, any leader is going to be most effective when they're most authentic. And I think you've tried to stay true to who you are. And, and again, I think that showed up in the results, but I think it's also showed up in the culture that you've built. Um, as of late, you've had to be real about a new topic. This is a new era that we're living in now, college basketball. You used to be able to coach basketball. Now we often joke that you, you've got this like CEO hat that you have to wear and you're managing you know, the transfer portal. You've got name, image, and likeness. We do have some Hawkeye fans listening. And I want you to speak to this for two reasons. Part of this is you've had to adapt. So there's, there's leadership lessons and adaptability. But also we get some Hawkeye fans listening who need to be made aware of how they can participate in helping us build a winning program and ultimately creating opportunities for student athletes. So would you mind just talking about what it's been like for you to adjust to this new era of name, image, and likeness, transfer portal? This is a different game than the one that you stepped into when you came to the University of Iowa. It is so dramatically different, Jordan. I mean, the fact that our players are getting paid, I I never thought I'd see that day. It, It was always, okay, in college, you're an amateur. In the NBA, you're a professional. And if you have the opportunity to become a professional and get paid, by all means, let's do it. Uh, what has happened over, I mean, I've been in this business for over 40 years now. TV has grown to the point where the money is where nobody ever dreamed it would be. Yep. You know, when you're talking about the NCAA tournament in the billions and our, and our Big Ten TV package being in the billions. Well, a lot of people were getting paid, coaches, conference commissioners, athletic directors, the TV organizations themselves. Mm. I mean, everybody's making money except for the players that are providing the product. So it was inevitable that they would be a participant in this. The mistake we made was we should have 
invited them players in earlier. We should have mm. been more proactive. We said, okay, we're going to take some of the revenue and we're going to share it with the players. Uh, that was resisted because a lot of that money was being shifted to non-revenue sports. A lot of people don't know that. Okay, but the NCAA would take the money from the NCAA men's basketball tournament and pay for all of the championship events for every sport, Division One, Two, and Three, men and women. So 500,000 athletes a year were benefiting from the revenue generated by the men's basketball tournament. Crazy. And the NCAA, I don't think, did a good enough job explaining that to people. Yep. Because that's admirable. I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now, you can argue, well, it's not right. The Basketball players should be the ones yeah. benefiting from that. But nonetheless, people weren't benefiting. And so when that case went to the Supreme Court and it was 9-0 against, like, NCAA said, we're non-revenue, like non-revenue organization. The money comes in and we spend it here. No, no, no. The Supreme Court said, no, no, no. The good news is we now have the opportunity to provide networking capability to our student athletes with the business and corporate community. Something you've been very helpful with us in making that happen. That has been a thing of beauty to watch. Our players have to interact with CEOs, read contracts, sign contracts, make appearances, interact with the community, whether it's our fan base or the business community, make speeches, yep. do commercials. I mean, this, this, this is what it's supposed to be like. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that rule came in at the same time as the transfer portal. That was a mistake. And I've said it publicly many times. The NCAA erred completely in that decision to think for one second that NIL and the transfer portal would not become pay for play was foolish. Mm. I, I think they probably knew it, uh, but they went with it anyway. The sit-out rule was fine. It was not a penalty. Yeah, you don't lose eligibility. You have, you, get, you you can earn a master's degree, and you can go to another place and learn the system and be ready to play. But yeah. once they declared every athlete a free agent, that's problematic. And how do we know this? Because no other organization has ever done that. Okay, and yeah. in the professional ranks, NHL, NBA, MLB. You collectively bargain with the owners, but you're under contract. Mm. So LeBron can't take $10 million more tomorrow to just switch to that team and to that team and to that team. Yep. And, and they said, well, yep. this was going to be a one-time transfer exception. It's not what ended up happening. Right. It's a one-time transfer exception, and you can grad transfer. So that's two. And you can apply for a waiver. Well, that's three. Well- if you can transfer three times in four years, you're essentially a free agent. And yeah. so that's, to me, disappointing. Mm. Uh, but again, here's another good side of it. And I've told our guys, this is wonderful. You have opportunities to make money, to interact with the business community, and do things that have never been done before. Mm. But if you're a knucklehead, nobody is hiring you to do anything. So it also sort of forces our guys to be the kind of citizens that we referenced earlier in this discussion and have those guys be really good people, great teammates, interact mm. with the with our fan base, interact with the business community, 
and be somebody that our people want to come and watch play and consequently want to hire to represent their business or their organization. Well, I go back to an earlier point about gratitude and optimism and choosing to find the good and see the good. I mean, this whole thing has been you communicating to our fan base, there's opportunity. Right. And there's good in this. And we can all choose to see the downside and wish that certain things happen differently at a different time. Right. Uh, this can be a good thing. It has been a good thing. And I commend you on choosing to see the good, fighting for the players, creating opportunities. Uh, you have been so abundant. And anytime we've asked you to step into an opportunity uh, to connect with community leaders or do an event, you and Margaret have stepped up and said, yep, we're there. We'll do it. We want to create as many opportunities as we can for the student athletes. So if you're a Hawkeye fan listening and um, you want to know how you can get involved, uh, the swarm um, under the direction of Brad Heinrichs um, has been a really helpful organization and operation to the name, image, and likeness efforts. And we're going to continue to do events. So um, matter of fact, we'll add a link in the show notes. You can click on the link. It'll take you to a page um, where you can directly be involved in helping our student athletes. Um, you got some years left on your contract. We have uh, with some good, good times in front of us, uh, but it's not going to last forever. You know, and um, at some point, there'll be another coach here, University of Iowa, and they'll be talking about some really, really good years, some of the best years, I think, in Iowa basketball history. Um, my final question to you, Fran, would be, how do you want to be remembered? And what do you hope that people say about you when this journey is through? I want the people in this state, Hawkeye Nation, to remember that I appreciated the opportunity to be their coach. It is something that I take very seriously. Uh, my staff and I and my family have grinded mm. to work extremely hard to put a product on the floor that they enjoy coming to watch, but young men that they can root for, yeah. that they, they want their children to be like mm -hmm. how they act and how they interact with people. Uh, to me, that that's what it's all about. Uh, that we did it the right way. Yeah, we didn't cut corners. Uh, and there's so many opportunities to do that. To try to win a few more games in the short run, but you said this, I think, twice in this. You mentioned the word culture. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what culture is, and and coaches throw that word out way too much. We have great culture. What does that mean? Do you really have great culture or do you just say you have great culture? We have great culture at the University of Iowa. And I've always been proud of that. And I can tell you that when, you know, Sally Mason and Gary Barda and Fred Mims hired me, they made that perfectly clear. Mm. We're going to do things the right way. We're going to be locked into making sure our guys graduate. And we're going to look out for them. And, and to me, what makes this business and my job all these years so rewarding is that these relationships don't end after four years. Yep. You know, I, I mean, Billy Taylor, I recruited. I got to know his family. He was on my staff three times. Yeah. He was our captain when I was coaching at Notre Dame. You know, sad to say his father passed away. Mm. Dennis. I'll be at his funeral on Saturday. Our whole family will be there. Like, 
that's what this business is. It's relationships that endure. And, and I want people to say, okay, that guy came here. He was proud to be the Hawkeye mm-hmm. coach. We won games, but we did it the right way. And it's something that they can be proud of as well. I think you and Margaret should be really proud. You know, it's been 13 great years. I appreciate and, uh, that. Going into season number 14, it's been fun to follow the journey, to be a part of the journey. You know that quote, I think it comes from Craig Rochelle. He said, people would rather follow a leader with a heart than a leader with a title. And the wins are one thing, and there's you know a bunch of success in the Big Ten and nationally, and you've made noise in the NCAA tournament. you got players in the NBA. But if somebody asked me, what do you respect most? Um, I would say it's your heart. I'd say that you've kept it real and you've been uh, a person of character and integrity. I think you and Margaret have both operated that way. And uh, you're one of the longest tenured division one coaches in the country because of it. And so it's been a great run, but we're not done. Nope. And there's more good years ahead. Exactly. And we're looking forward to an awesome season. And I just want to say again, man, thank you for letting me be a part of the journey. You've had a great impact on my life. Well, and I consider you a, a dear friend. I, I, I echo that. You're a dear friend, and, and what you've done to help our program has, has, has been beyond spectacular because when this started, we really didn't know exactly how to go about it. Like You and I figured this out on the fly, and you're the one who brought it together and provided such great opportunities for our student-athletes. And then Brad comes in, and provides a completely different opportunity with mm. the people that he's reaching out to and how he set up the 501c3. Yeah. And, and together, it has been something that really has been impactful to our ability to be successful, which is all you ever wanted. You never asked for anything, and either did he. Matter of fact, he put his own money in. Right. You know, you put your... Your time in. Right. I mean, the amount of time that you have put into mm. helping our program survive in a new world mm. and not survive, but prosper and excel. So I really appreciate you, Jordan. And uh, this has been fun. Well, this has been great, man. And to that end, there's been so many people who've been involved um, in that effort. And we just want to acknowledge that publicly Brad Heinrichs, Jane Oswald, Scott Brickman. I mean, it's just been such a fun journey, you know, and it's a small part of what we get to do together uh, to the benefit of the student-athlete. Exactly. And, uh, man, I so much appreciate you joining us for today's conversation. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you, Jordan. This has been another episode of the Growth Over Goals podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. If you found any value in this episode, I would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe to this podcast in an effort that we might move our mission of impact forward. I also want to say thank you to our producers, John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this podcast go. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.